0: We are dealing with illegal contraband here, Mallory. What took you so long? Effie didn't want to give up the pills. She says she needs them for a diet. How'd you talk her into it? She likes you, Alex, so uh, I told her you you'd go out with her. You what? I don't want to go out with Effie. She weighs 300 pounds. <laughs> well, it's a lucky thing for you she does or she wouldn't have those pills.
1: I just wanted to let you know about my study group
0: oh don't be a buddy, buddy. i'll be your study buddy i'm about to embark on one of the great challenges of my scientific career this work right here is going to change history i think this is going to be our greatest mission
1: i don't have time to study i'll never get into stanford
0: i got big plans for you tonight i got maps i got charts i'm gonna see you through this because my credibility is on the line it's at this point that you'll want to start taking notes Welcome to the Sitcom Study, the podcast where we contemplate the TV shows we grew up with and search for the truth and wisdom within the tropes and cliches. And talk about a very special episode. Amy, what is the trope we are about to discuss?
1: The most exciting trope ever, Jay. We're going all the way back to the 1970s. We're going to start with the best, best show ever. Welcome back, Connor. It's going to be so exciting. I'm so excited. I'm so, so scared.
0: Yep an Oscar-worthy performance just like several of the uh, TV stars we're about to talk about, Hooked on Pills. We're talking about sitcom episodes in which a character is addicted to prescription medication I think that's that's a pretty uh, fair way to describe it
1: except for for most of our characters they don't they like they aren't prescription right so around about the late 80s diet pills started becoming available over the counter like full-on amphetamine diet okay. pills so that's why you see some of our characters being able to get them from the drug get them store.
0: more easily than others okay right. I guess the distinction I'm trying to draw as somebody with a fair share of experience with addiction myself is that these are all stories that focus on non-recreational drugs. These are all Uh, characters that are trying to in some way enhance their performance or cope with some sort of circumstance. This is something that is different from your normal sort of drugs and alcohol just say no kind of situation.
1: Right. I think Welcome Back Hotter is the only one where we're going to see like a proper drug dealer and these are drugs like they're more like street drugs but they're doing the same kind of thing that are other characters who are just trying to take speed or diet pills or caffeine pills, depending on the era.
0: Right. So what's our lineup? What are the shows so we're watching? We
1: are starting with Welcome Back, Cotter, Season 3, Episode 22, What Goes Up, Family Ties, Season 2, Episode 6, Speed Trap, Saved by the Bell, Season 2, Episode 9, Jesse's Song, and finally, Family Matters, Season 7, Episode 14, Life in the Fast Lane.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So never mind the fact that we're going to be discussing Horshack, Screech, and Urkel in a single podcast, which has to be an (laughs) unprecedented event in the world. Uh, This has just got to be, you know, one of the critical Mount Rushmore sitcom tropes of all time. I mean, when we invented this podcast and said we're going to go through the sitcoms trope by trope, I think the getting bopped on the head and getting amnesia thing and the getting hooked on amphetamines and stuff. Those are the two sort of platonic forms, the examples par excellence of what those sort of cheesy sitcom (laughs) tropes were. And yeah, I'm almost nervous that we've reached the point where we're going to talk about this. I mean, I think these are all big shows, but let's be honest if you're talking about an on screen descent into the depths of addiction, right? You've got Requiem for a Dream, leaving Las Vegas, maybe fear and loathing in Las Vegas. And then the "I'm so excited" episode of Saved by the Bell. Just, I
1: think you're right for a certain generation. Oscar, Oscar-worthy performances, all.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think for a certain generation, this is just the most memeified, legendary, so bad it's good, so good it's bad. I don't know that it is a, a episode of television that has lived in infamy. But we're starting with "Welcome Back, Kotter."
1: Which has some wonderful moments as well. Like you said, (laughs) we've got Horshack at his uh, absolute best. And um, we get a few good zingers from our friend uh, John Travolta there as well.
0: Well, we're talking about Welcome Back, Cotters. So zingers is... The name of the game. That's no. right. <laughs> this isn't the first time uh, covering this show. We've talked about Welcome Back, Cotter before. We love this show. This is a little before our time, but uh, we grew up with the reruns and syndication and stuff. This is a sort of ancestor to a lot of the shows that we grew up with. You had, we talked about how this is one of the first sort of rowdy sitcoms where it seemed like they gave everyone in the audience a shot at Jack Daniels before the show starts. Everyone is just hooting and hollering all the time. And then just the the, the teenage archetypes, you know, right. that you obviously see passed down to your screeches and your Urkels and stuff. You know, a lot of it started with this crazy classroom comedy. Welcome back, Cotter.
1: Yep. So in this one, it starts, well... It starts and ends always in Welcome Back, Cotter, with Mr. Cotter telling jokes to his wife. And she's always about his uncles. Always about his uncle. That's right. And she just is shaking her head and not wanting to hear them because this is her every day. But then when we get into the episode proper, we have Freddie, who is on the basketball team. He's the tallest one, I think, of the of the little crew of their guys there. He's
0: tall. This every single cast member of the show has huge hair. Yes, so that is one thing true. you also have to have to take into account.
1: <laughs> But so, Freddie is sitting there on the bench outside the school in the morning. It's all snowy and everything. Love
0: this outdoor set. I have to say, this is the coziest vibe to have a 1978 New York City public school with all the graffiti and the snow... But it's fake graffiti and fake snow. And so the whole thing just looks like sort of clean and safe and just sort of it's almost (laughs) like you went on a Disneyland ride that was made to look like New York City or something like its It's just not quite real. And that sort of makes it nice.
1: Yeah. So Freddie's sitting out there on the bench before school starts and he's struggling to stay awake. And um, his friends arrive and they're like, come on, Freddie, what's going on with you? And he's like, oh, man, you know, I hurt my knee in the basketball game last week, you know, and the doctor gave me these pills and and they just really make me groggy.
0: Yeah, this is the... the the sweathogs, the gang, this right. is Epstein Barberino and Horshack, and Freddie Washington, like you said, is the basketball guy who he's going to be our only one that's on pain pills, right? We've got three amphetamines and a pain pill
1: well, so that's that's what happened next. The pain pills is his reason to go into the speed mm-hmm. because he's having a hard time staying awake. He's having a hard time shaking off the grogginess from the pain pills. That's when he starts waiting for somebody in the bathroom, the dealer who meets him in the bathroom, to give him some speeds, some
0: uppers. Now, let's just say this whole dynamic I found pretty interesting. You know, Welcome Back, Cotter, like we said, it takes place in 1970s New York. This is almost like a sitcom version of something that grew out of, you know, Taxi Driver and your kind of gritty, Scorsese uh, New York City. And so... For better or worse, it was just so interesting to me how the other three friends, Horshack, Barberino, and Epstein, are so scandalized. Yeah, and... they're
1: so anti-drug. I was yeah. not expecting that. Yeah, yeah.
0: and now granted, the, the show... And again, I found this a little surprising because this isn't like Saved by the Bell where it's a show for little kids. Like, you kind of felt like this had an edge to it. The show completely sort of skirts the issue of recreational drugs, right? Because right. this whole time I'm wondering, like... Don't these guys get drunk on the weekend? Don't they like smoke Don't these weed guys party? at parties? Yeah. Yeah. And like, this is all presented as like, oh my God, Washington might be on drugs. And Epstein and Barbarino are gravely concerned and Horshack is completely in denial. He's just like, not my Freddie Washington. This is not a person who would ever do that. He's my friend and I believe him when he says these are vitamins.
1: Right. And so they, they're they worried about him because he was falling asleep in the, on the, in the front of the school. Then they followed him into the bathroom. They spy on
0: him in the bathroom Three Stooges style like they make a vertical stack of their heads (laughs) peeking around the (laughs) doorway. yeah and yet they're spying on him and they're like oh my god we're right he's using drugs he keeps them in his shoe
1: he pulls something out of his shoe and so that's when he tells Horshack that they're vitamins not speed and so he let's
0: clock that because that's a subtrope that's going to repeat
1: exactly and so he you know kind of chases the guys off and says i don't need you don't you know don't worry about me i'm just trying to. like this is just to even things out until the you know my knee's better and it's fine it's all fine and then the next Cut is we're in the class, and he is now clearly on the uppers in class because he's cutting up and like resting his head on Epstein's shoulder, like, "Eh, eh, eh," kind of loopy. In the way that Epstein describes later is, oh, you have a downer, and then you take an upper, and now you're just going sideways.
0: Yeah, and this is a definite subtrope. This is the thing we're going to get in every single episode is the manic, weird, off-the-wall behavior that kind of makes everybody look askance and go like, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong.
1: Right. So that's happening during the class. This is Mr. Cotter kind of noticed in the morning out in front of school that Freddie seemed tired. Now he's noticing him bouncing off the walls. So he's like, okay, something's up. So he holds the... He tries to hold Freddy back and ask him. Freddy slips out. And then he holds the three other sweat hogs back and is like, what's going on? And they... You know, they te- they don't want to tell him, but then they do tell him.
0: The way it slips out is, you know, they, they want to be cool at first and not narc on him. And... Horschak says, Yeah, Mr Cotta, he's just got a lot of adrenaline. And then Barberino goes, Yeah, he keeps it in his shoe. And so that's how uh, that's how Cotter finds out. Okay, now I'm getting to the truth. He's he's doing drugs.
1: He's doing drugs. And I don't remember if it's in this scene or one of the scenes that we've already talked about, but Barberino has one of the best lines in this show when he looks at Horschak and because Horschak keeps like whining and he's being particularly childlike. He's always yes. Childlike, but in this episode, he's being even more so. Infantilized. Yes. And so at one point, Barbarino looks at him and he's like, you're so stupid. You don't do anything right. I bet you don't even know how to bleed right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And
1: I just died.
0: I bet you don't even know how to bleed right. Lots of burns on Horshack. I do have to say, though, for my money, he is the best-dressed cast member by a mile. I was noticing his his ensemble on day one of this show, he's wearing... Uh, the, the sort of the cap I don't know what you call that but a, a nice sort of knitted hat he's got this really really long striped scarf yeah that it looks like a wear. Gryffindor scarf yeah and then this almost like Fidel Castro type sort of olive colored work jacket type yep. thing and he looks cool as long as he doesn't open his mouth I'm like <laughs> this guy would fit right in in modern times he looks less you know sort of cringy than than all of them
1: do. so I was noticing his his wardrobe work- Wardrobe, um, Shout out to the wardrobe department. I was noticing it in the scene where... So the next thing that happens, basically, is Mr. Cotter goes, tries to confront yeah. Freddie in the bathroom. It doesn't go well. Freddie's like, get out of here. Well, we
0: can't just gloss over that because that's another major subtrip. Another
1: major subtrop. Okay, well, so what I was going to say about the wardrobe are the pants... When Horshack has his big scene later on, he has the best jeans. I mean, everybody's always in constantly in denim in this show, yeah. But and he flared, has great, like... the, yeah. Always flared denim, but he has great, really like stonewashed, really mm-hmm. light colored jeans that have brown patches like on each of the back pockets. Yes. I was like, man, yeah. his, his butt looks great. I guess <laughs>
0: what I'm saying is, I want to be Horshack at <laughs> you least dress sartorially, like a ner- <laughs> 70s nerd, yeah. Like, the arguably the most. Most annoying tv character of all time maybe maybe um, okay anyway so, so yeah
1: cotter in the bathroom freddie in the bathroom drug dealer comes in sees the teacher and is like oh uh, catch you later freddie and checks right. out
0: so basically yeah cotter has screwed up his his drug deal but what i just want to point to is the subtrope that we have with all of these episodes which is the confrontation And the Oscar moment where the person who is hooked on drugs says some version of, get out of my face, man. Get out of my life. You know, I can handle myself. You can't tell me what to do. I got it under control. Exactly. And uh, yeah, this one, I think, doesn't quite live in the annals of history as some of the other ones do. But it definitely is starting that pattern.
1: Well and I kind of dig speaking of like Freddie's acting in that way I dig him from the beginning. Mm -hmm. From the beginning he's got to like he just keeps rubbing his face and rubbing his nose. He definitely is like picking up on these like you know addict behaviors yeah. that are out there in the in the universe or whatever he's like rubbing his mouth and everything and so he does a good job with the the tweaking kind of aspect of yeah. of of
0: being in need and then we also get <laughs> i think his final sort of rock bottom incident we don't get to see we get it described to us less Nessman style the same way we got the falling turkeys described to us last time we have The principal, or maybe he's the dean or something, comes in and explains, you know, he says to Cotter, what the hell is wrong with Washington? (laughs) And everyone's like, uh, what do you mean? What did he do? And he goes, well, Washington... Stuck his finger in a can of peas and yelled, ho, 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 I'm the jolly black giant, right? And he goes, and then he, I forget, what did he then do no, to the dean? He stood
1: on a tray of peas. Uh-huh. He, like, st- he put his feet, not his finger. He, like, st- there was, like, peas on a tray.
0: It says, I have in my notes he stuck his finger in I the thought peas.
1: I <laughs> thought he said he put his feet on the peas. Uh, but anyway, okay. either way, and said, ho, 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 I'm the jolly, I'm the jolly black black giant and then started calling out to the principal like come here little sprout
0: yeah yeah (laughs) that's right so we have this whole other off-screen incident that is like at this point now it's been elevated to the administration so like everyone knows washington is in a in a pill hole so
1: cotter says to the sweat hogs you can't help freddie anymore like it's been a whole week of his addiction. He says he needs help, he he needs needs professional help, right? He needs, because again, sitcom land, right? Well, that's the thing. It's been a week.
0: What Cotter is suggesting, I think, is a real-life solution. He's not, you know, he doesn't get as far as actually explaining a scenario. So the friends all go, okay, Mr. Cotter, right. And then they leave and then out in the hallway they go, we're not going to listen to him. We're going to do our own extremely sitcom-y solution, which is to pretend to be drug addicts ourselves. This...
1: Pretend to be drug addicts so that Freddie will go, Aha, I look
0: stupid. They pulled this move on Charles in Charge all the time where they would go, Jamie's joined a cult. What we have to do is pretend to be brainwashed by cults ourselves and then she'll see how dumb we all look. Like, it's that (laughs) same thinking, that weird reverse psychology is like, that's how you solve everything. That's how you solve and And it almost works. Well, it does work because they they... (laughs) Because it's not all fake.
1: Right. So what has happened, again, off screen that we don't see is that Horshack has gone into the bathroom to get some of these same vitamins from the drug dealer. Right.
0: Still does not believe any of the hearsay that Washington is a drug addict.
1: Exactly. Has been very angry at his friends for not believing Freddie in the first place. And so he goes and he gets the same vitamins and he comes out of the bathroom and he is flying high. But that happens to be at the same time that Epstein and Barbarino have decided that they're going to pretend to be high. So all three of them are doing Their own little thing And Barbarino Again He is like beautiful little acting moment he has decided he's going to bend over like hunch over and look down at his hands and do this little like gimme gimme motion and just look at his hands when he's doing it and be like gimme drugs gimme yeah. drugs that's his way to be a drug addict so we get this like him just you know John Travolta just kind of walking across the bottom of our screen going gimme drugs yeah, gimme the blocking drugs. is very
0: funny because <laughs> they'll, they'll have other people talking to each other and then just have him drift through the frame i also like that before he even got started he's he says to epstein this pill and stuff's bad for my boy next door image you know right. so he's like, we got to get this charade over with fast
1: because i have a boy i have the boy next door image to which epstein is like if you're the boy next door i'm moving
0: <laughs> yeah but it was true though this was at the time travolta would be on you know the magazine covers and everything so yeah like you said this works all too well because even though Washington sees through Barberino and Epstein's ruse and they're like, all right, there's no fooling a real drug addict. He can tell we're just faking. Then it turns out that yes, Horshack is high as a kite on opiates I guess and no just, he's
1: on the uppers uh, the
0: upper okay and so he's like you know it was basically like almost jumping out of the window of the school right.
1: he's pretending to do like a circus act on, on the window and is like watch me I'm the great flying horsehack or whatever yeah. and so he's gonna he then he says oh, oh wait I'm gonna jump from Mr. Kata's window into the window of the classroom next door and everyone's like no you're not get down and so they lift him up and try to put him down and he's pitching a little fit and he bangs his knee on the ground or that's what's supposed to happen of course it looks awful and then they cut to a different take where he's holding a different knee than just hit the ground the
0: injury is very unconvincing but we get the point that he got hurt and it's this whole little sort of scandalous moment that little innocent puppy dog Arnold Horshack has been hurt because of Washington's you know irresponsibility
1: that's right and so Washington feels really bad and they Barbarino and Epstein just kind of yell at him they're like you know, he did this because it's you know it's your fault. It's like that commercial commercial we back. used to watch, right? I learned
0: it from watching you, Dad. Yep, except that's... in this case, Dad is my basketball playing friend at school.
1: That's right, my good friend Freddie Washington. So. That's kind of what the what it was, and Barbarino was sort of playing the mom, like he learned it from you, Freddie. And then they pick up Horshack and uh, they walk him to the nurse, and Freddie's kind of left behind to feel sorry for himself. And then Cotter comes in, and they have a conversation. And
0: um, this has got to be the most like sober serious conversation Gabe Kaplan ever had in his life. This guy (laughs) that gets like a standing ovation every time he walks into the room and just like says like any stupid joke to his wife. And so he's got to play it so, you know, just so serious and, you know, I guess Washington says, "Oh, I guess I let everybody down." You let yourself down, Freddie. You know. <laughs> Freddie says, "Yeah, I guess I'm pretty dumb." Well, you're not dumb if you know you need help. You know. And yep. So
1: it was very—it's the most serious you ever see, Mr. Cotter. And then Freddie goes, "Here, will you uh, will you flush these for me?" And he's like, "Better if you flush them yourself."
0: Yeah. And that's the end of the episode. Obviously, you know, thunderous applause, standing ovation. You know, let's get the Emmys on the phone like this was going for all of the serious stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, look, in terms of tracking the trope, I mean, it's all right there. I think the big difference, like we said, is that this is the only one that starts out with pain pills and it's a different sort of route to the addiction. All of the other ones, I think, are going to start with some sort of like, I have an idea of how I can solve this problem of mine. Whereas this one... If anything, I think it bears more resemblance to all the horrible shit that's going on in the real world now with the saturation of pain medication and stuff. Yeah,
1: I think it is a little bit more about like what really happens because in this case, Freddie is addicted to both. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, dealing, you know, he got addicted to the pain meds, but realizes he's not functioning well on them. So he's taking the uppers so that he can keep taking the pain meds because they make him feel good, which is craziness. But that's what happens to so many people. And in the rest of our episodes, it's... It's all just the speed. And like you said, it's oftentimes the um, instigating incident isn't an injury that you're taking pain meds for, like it was in this case. The instigating incident is often, I've got so much to do.
0: Pressures of life.
1: Or I'm trying to lose weight.
0: Yeah. So in that sense, it's different, but still a ton of overlap just thinking about all those confrontations the thing of the one friend saying to the others hey everybody i think so and so is using drugs and everyone going oh no don't say that about my friend same exact thing we're going to see in save by the bell and then again the one-on-one confrontation that ends with the storming out of the room and then the wacky manic behavior and then the crash and then the sort of you know tragic, learning yeah the misstep Mm -hmm. the the rock bottom as it were Horshack banging his knee (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's
1: what sent me to rehab guys Horshack banged his knee
0: yeah pretty much but yeah it's all right there so uh so much for Welcome Back, Cotter. Let's move on to Family Ties.
1: Season 2, Episode 6, Speed Trap.
0: Yep, so this is our first time covering Family Ties on the podcast, but we are no stranger to this show Uh, This is, I would argue, maybe the best family sitcom of the 20th century.
1: I am obsessed with this show. Uh, You'd be hard-pressed to get me to agree to a different family sitcom that was as good or at least had as strong of a first two seasons as this series.
0: Yeah, and I think I could speak for both of us when I say that when we kind of bristle at uh, some of these shows that have that toxicity and that sort of feel bad vibe to it where it's like everybody hates each other and we're supposed to laugh at all the mean shit that everyone says to each other this is like sort of the opposite of that like this is kind of what we're comparing it to and it's not to say that there's never any conflict or strife or anything but there's something about the way that this family is characterized and that all of these characters are played that is just really just sort of like wonderful at the same time as it is funny. There's a lot to say. Opening thoughts on Family Ties in general.
1: I mean, Family Ties is fabulous. Michael J. Fox is hilarious. You can watch, I mean, we have talked about Spin City Mm -hmm. on the podcast. So you can see just like the origins. This is before, we're still, is this season two? So this is still before Back to the Future. Yes. He's- he's a little star. Like, you can yeah. just see it. It's so apparent. And especially in the scenes where he's playing opposite of Justine Bateman or the little sister, even Tina Yothers, he is light years ahead of them in yeah. terms of acting ability. Well,
0: what I've discovered since we started watching this just for fun, because, of course, I would have said at any point in time, Michael J. Fox is this amazingly charismatic actor. But what I see now his superpower is, specifically with this character, is that because he's playing a character that is sort of fundamentally like a little mean or heartless. Let's back up for a second. The whole concept of the show is it's like the reverse of all in the family, where instead of having the conservative older generation and the younger children, now you have what happens when the hippies grow up and their kids, or at least one of their kids, is a Reagan-type conservative. And it's kind of interesting to contemplate the hippie generation was sort of the first time where you had the whole identity of that generation was wrapped up in youth and revolt and counterculture and everything so what happens when they grow up and they're the authority figures well maybe you get this weird reversal where your son walks around the house in a tie and talks about you know trickle-down economics or whatever so all that wind up is to say that alex p keaton is this character that you know really He's got to say things that are mean and heartless. He's got to make fun of people sometimes or yeah, espouse he things can,
1: politically. Exactly. He can be very misogynistic, and he has all of these weird gender roles that he ascribes yes. to. Like, he doesn't watch his, want his younger sister in this episode watching the miracle of life. He's like, no, no, the stork brings the babies. Turn off this right. smut. He
0: says, like, long story short, is he says horrible things, and Michael J. Fox has this way of doing it that you always no he doesn't really mean it or he he thinks he means it but he doesn't like he just has this this affability and this childlike sense to him that it's like when a little kid calls grandpa old or something and so everybody chuckles because it's "Ah, it's a little kid it's cute you know like there's it just doesn't have the bite to it that it would coming from other people, some of the things that he says. And then just the way that he shows these negative emotions when he's exasperated when he's angry when he's upset you know like he just has these ways of playing all of those moods that are very funny and entertaining and then you see those same things in his movie careers you know whenever you know you see those same notes that he sort of tried out in family ties showing up in back to the future and everything
1: yeah and so where we are in family ties we're sort of beginning of season two this is um episode six the show has become a star vehicle for Alex P. Keaton. First of all, his Alex P. Keaton was an ad lib he did in episode one. His He did not have that middle initial, but he ad libbed that and the audience roared. And that was when the casting director and a bunch of these other people who were like writers on the show that didn't want him were like, oh, OK, I guess we're sold because he's so funny. So he has just, they've been writing more and more for him. He is supposed to be like a senior in high school, I think at this point. And he's like a parent in the family because most of his interactions are kind of happening with the adult actors because he's on their level.
0: Well, one thing I wanted to remark about this episode and a lot of them, but it really kind of shines through in this one is the relationship between Alex and Mallory, the siblings. And it's really nice like they have each other's back in this way that like in in several episodes that are just like and i guess it's like this with with siblings it was like this with my brother and me where it's just like you have to have a united front because like mom and dad are going to be united right so we have to be on the same page too and so yeah as we get into the specifics of this speed trap episode i was impressed with both of them with the way that they kind of like they never really like they question each other, but at the end of the day, like they will always do what the other asks them to do.
1: Right? They're super supportive in, in this episode in a way that like shows them as having a sibling relationship where they have each other's backs. But in other episodes, we absolutely see them, you know, like getting digs in on each other yeah. in a in but a can, loving way. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? It's like, oh, you're so you're so controlling, Alex. You well, know, oh, you're so dumb, Mallory. Kind that of that
0: was one. Of my favorite lines at the beginning of this one you know we start with alex he's late for dinner he's saying this week every second is precious i've got my midterms right he's he's drowning in school work He needs to talk to Mallory. He says he needs her help. And so Mallory says, Oh,
1: right. (laughs) Do you
0: want me to write one of your term papers for you? And he goes, this is no time for jokes, Mallory. This
1: is not time for one of your jokes, Mallory. That's
0: exactly the kind of line that like, that's not that funny. But the way that Michael J. Fox says it, it is that funny.
1: Right. And and the audience does laugh. So this is where we um, see that he is going to ask or he asks Mallory, for her friend Effie's information or he wants Effie's um, diet pills. He's like, hey, does your friend Effie still take those diet pills? Now,
0: there's a whole Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, there's a whole other story happening with Effie. This character we never see, who's apparently 300 pounds, that Michael J. Fox has to prostitute himself to, right? He has to agree... To go on a date with Effie to get her diet pills.
1: Right. So
0: he can and use... And
1: because he's taken her diet pills, she's going to be hungry on the date.
0: Right. So, yeah. So so we never get to meet Effie, but it's funny that she's just this sort of punching back. Like, she's just this plot point that is invented for this request. And well,
1: and we also get another, like, invented plot that never happened or that we didn't see, which was Mallory tried one of her, one of her friend's diet pills. a a while back Mm. and didn't and and, because Alex was like well didn't you take one and he and she was like yeah but I didn't like it it made me feel all weird so I decided not to do that you know and you have to be careful so that was like I was like she had a run-in with diet pills well we never heard about that
0: I think that makes sense though because what they're trying to say in this episode and I think this is a running theme with Alex P Keaton is that just because you're a very bright kid it doesn't mean you're smart in every way and right. this is another subtrope of this of this topic is the idea of like oh yeah i know people get addicted to that drug but that won't happen to me i'm too smart for that right, right. those people are dumb and that's something that i can say from real life experience that Yeah, that's what you think. And part of it is because of movies and TV where you see some wino or some drug addict passed out on a park bench and you go, oh, I'll never do that. And you don't understand the way that these things mess with your mind so that it's not about like what you do or don't want to do you can't function unless you take the pill. You can't stay awake you can't experience pleasure whatever it is but as a 16 year old you know young Republican he doesn't understand any of that all he knows is I need something that'll give me more energy.
1: Right and coffee isn't going to cut it I need more than that and that's what we hear Jesse Spano saying too just trying to get through this tough time with this stimulant and so Alex convinces Mallory she gets them for him she doesn't want to give them to him he's
0: very straightforward again I was impressed by this whole approach this is the opposite of Freddie Washington right? right this is not being sketchy this is not hiding it in your shoe this is just going to your sister and saying look these things, they speed up your metabolism so you can get a little more done. I need it, you know, so uh, please acquire it.
1: And I might not even take them, but I want to have them just in case so I can push through. And that's how he convinces her to give him the pills. And then she leaves and comes back with them late, you know, later on or whatever. And then he does take them. And then we get just sort of a series of amazing front like, Michael J. Fox is already yeah. full of energy, so, like, to see him playing frenetic energy well, to the on. highest degree is lovely.
0: Yeah, uh, we're going to get a tour de force there, but before we even get there, I just want to point out another one of his amazing sort of superpowers. He has to do, like, a Shakespeare-style one-man soliloquy type thing where, like, he puts the pill bottle down on his desk. Oh, yes! And has to pace around I don't even room. need you. Do I need you? I don't need you. Exactly. You don't need Anything to me. Talking to himself, weighing <laughs> the pros and cons, just behaving in a way that no human being has ever behaved ever. Just doing all of his thinking out loud in this way that's very, again, theatrical and sort of heightened. And... You believe it. Like you don't believe that that would really happen exactly, but Michael J. Fox just has this way of playing all of that that it's it's just so entertaining and fun that you're not sitting there thinking like why is he saying this out loud?
1: <laughs> right. It's not as hokey as it seems like it would be. If we had our characters from Saved by the Bell attempting to do the same thing, it would be very hokey, but it's not.
0: Yeah, the other specific thing I want to call out whenever Alex is in his room, I love the way he he really makes a meal of rolling around on his chair.
1: It's so good that they put it in the opening credits.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just your classic like cinematic thing. Like if you've got something that's just going to make somebody like move around faster and just move through space more quickly and stuff, then it just like, of course, that just adds this extra Interest to it And so yeah He always uses that To sort of add A little more like Zing to his step He'll kind of glide Across the room To grab something or,
1: Right he's got He's studying at his desk And he will read a question And give an answer And then he'll slide His chair across the room And check his other book Where the answers are And be like Like tap the book Put his hands up in the air And be like I'm a genius Right
0: and so of course During this soliloquy The the way that he makes His final decision Is by Insulting his bedside photo of Richard Milhouse Nixon. Uh, and yeah, he, he says he asks the photo, what would you do?
1: Right? Well, he said you wouldn't do anything illegal. Oh, yeah. Right. Because <laughs> you
0: wouldn't do anything dishonest.
1: Just to just to get what you, you know, get where you needed to get or win or something like that. You would never do that. And then he kind of pauses and looks at who he's talking to, and flips the photo down and is like, but I'm not like that, and then goes yeah. and gets a In pill.
0: the 80s, you still had fresh Nixon, you know, Nixon <laughs> jokes ready to go. So much Nixon humor. So, yeah, like you said, after that, we get several scenes of Alex acting like a maniac, right? He comes downstairs and the family is playing Monopoly.
1: Well, they call up to him and they say, Alex, do you want to play Monopoly? Do you want to play a game? And he says, no. And they were like, are you sure we're playing Monopoly? And then you would just hear the like, him running down the stairs. He, the... Keaton household has, like, a landing with a two-sided, like, a corner-sided balcony. He jumps off of the, like, midway landing and down like spider-man or an avenger like lands on the ground
0: michael j fox thing now that i'm thinking about it like think of back to the future there's like five different times where he like hops over the hood of a car and lands like like an avenger yeah or like jumps over a counter or hops onto a seat or something yeah he just
1: you're welcome marvel you stole it from michael j fox
0: yeah this monopoly scene is amazing it's like jennifer you know gets on a spot that she doesn't like or something happens so they say she can have a do-over and
1: then he, Alex he stands apoplectic.
0: up, He's like, he what? quotes page four of the Monopoly rule book, and he goes, this is a sin against capitalism <laughs> right, and storms out of the room. Yeah. And so you just, you get lots of, uh, lots of scenes like that, right? Just him basically making no attempt to conceal his mania, his extra uh,
1: energy. And then we get a bunch of funny little, like one liner from the family where at one point the dad is like, man, you know, Alex has really had a lot of energy lately. You know, it, he, he, they're on the phone with a neighbor and he's, you know, re the neighbor's gardens and, or no, cleaned out the entire neighbor's garage. We're sorry he had to break a window to get in there to do yeah. it because he noticed it on his walk home. He's cut out a skylight in the roof of the kitchen and yeah. they're like making some mention of that's, you know, Making a skylight watertight is really difficult, you know, but he, he has, did that one night.
0: He has his moral stand against the the fertilization video right. that the mom and the sister <laughs> the are watching. He says, life. I will not allow this smut in my house. And he like just they're trying to show you there because that's one of the later ones where it's like, it's not just extra energy now, like his mood is starting to crack and he starts to like get into a fight with his mom over this silly, you know, fertilization thing that he thinks is porn and the sister needs to think babies come from the stork up to a certain age. But I just want to stop for a second because we're heaping all this praise on Michael J. Fox, but also the parents are pretty amazing in this too. And I especially like, Uh, Michael Gross is his name I think he's in addition to being the dad in Family Ties he's the star of like seven Tremors movies he's the main (laughs) character Kevin Bacon is the main character in the first one and then when he left the series Michael Gross took over like took the helm of Tremors like two through eight but anyway he's got that amazing like Bob Fosse Jack Skellington type body where he's like super skinny and lithe and the way that he reacts to things that's sort of like he's the perfect compliment to like we're saying how michael j fox can be sort of evil but we kind of love him for it at the same time and then you have the dad michael gross being like always a little angry but the anger is cut with confusion and he's just he's always got this reaction of like what is this? What is going on here? Like, well, how am I going to have to deal with this? Like, he, it's just fun to watch him react to Alex's antics.
1: Yeah. So Alex does a great job on all of his tests and term papers. And the big thing that is coming, though, at the end of this like long week that's going to be so busy is the test that is for the state scholarship. Yeah. So he's got to go take this big test that's going to say whether or not he's eligible for a state scholarship to any of the state schools, I guess. And that is the other thing that he has to keep studying for. So he's run out of pills and he asks for more. Mallory doesn't want to give them to him, but she already had kind of gotten them, and they're in her purse. But she's been freaked out by the way he's been acting, and how he's been getting in arguments with the mom, and how he's just been running around the house and like doing a million things, and like painting the room, painting the walls in his room, and just like, like all like, sorts no, of this stuff. No, this has
0: obviously got to stop.
1: Like you have a problem, and he's like, "No, I don't. No, I don't." And then this is the part that is meant to be like this big deal that they're really trying to play it as a big deal, and it never hits right for me. That's it's funny, Just I kind think of a bummer. I
0: disagree with this. Really, go ahead.
1: But so they're in the kitchen, Mallory and and Alex, and they're having this argument. And Mallory sort of like looks over at her purse, kind of indicating that's where she has the pills and he runs over and grabs her purse and starts tearing through it to get the things and she's scandalized what are you doing like she's acting like she's being attacked she's like Alex stop it you can't do that that's a breach of mine it's a breach of privacy and she's just like screaming and screaming and he's just like digging in her purse and he's like it's fine whatever and like walks out and she's left like I feel like we're supposed to feel like this was a big deal and i was just kind of like Sh- shut up
0: <laughs> that's funny <laughs> i yeah. didn't think
1: it was that. i was like he went in your purse he's your brother like he's annoying that's well, what they do
0: i didn't necessarily think that going into her purse regardless of whether or not that is as big a deal i thought that the way that the actress played the violation was really effective And so, but
1: I I just don't think that was a violation. I could see, I was like, do something else.
0: I think, I think the scene succeeded for me in showing you that again, like we said, because they have this relationship, Alex and Mallory, you didn't think he would do that. Like, you just don't think that he would actually physically, like, push her aside and say, you know what, I think I'm stronger than her, so I'm gonna just get the pills from her. Uh, from her bag and so the fact that he does that and she reacts as though he's reaching into her asshole to get the pills like right. she's just she's very so violated out. she's really but obsessed. again it it didn't play to me as like i'm gonna laugh at it the way i might with saved by the bell it did play to me as like she truly felt like like she never thought he would do that and it's an unforgivable thing and yeah, it's like the only definitely we,
1: played it that way i just was like i wish that the th- Thing of it was, like, I wish he had knocked her down. And then I would have been like, ah, okay, See, I, I, don't I understand why you're so upset. I
0: think to me it's more effective to think, like, if I ever thought you would do that, I wouldn't have kept him in my bag. I would have hidden them somewhere, you right. know? So to me, it's a more subtle and sort of, like, realistic violation to say, like, I, I trust that you would never have done that. And so, in a sense, that's worse. I connected with it as, like, in her world, that was like the worst thing you could do. But anyway, he, you know, like you said, this has all been building to uh, this event, this this test, and this is another subtrope that we're going to see again in Saved by the Bell, where, you know, this whole thing ends up doing more harm than good, and despite all of his little victories, uh, everything sort of unravels when he's supposed to take the test.
1: Right, so his dad comes in, in the middle of the night, it's like three o'clock in the morning before he's supposed to go take the test. And he's studying and painting his wall, uh, yeah. painting the walls in his room. He's like doing both at the same time. And his dad is confronting him, goes over and opens the windows to the backyard in his room and says, Alex, did you dig those trenches in the backyard? And he's like, "Oh yeah, I was trying to like put in some irrigation system or whatever. And he's like, what are you on? And he's like, nothing. I'm not on anything, you know, whatever. And then we get that confrontation of, you know, I'm fine. I'm managing it. You don't think I can manage it? Well, fine. And he takes the pills and he throws them in the garbage can. And then, you know, and so we get that. And and then he says, you know, they sit down to have a heart to heart because the dad was like, I know what these things do. I use them myself. And he's like, well, if you use them, what are you giving me such a hard time for? And so they sit down on the bed to have a heart to heart. And Alex like passes out.
0: Yeah, this is one of those things. I feel like this happens a lot on Family Ties where the dad starts giving, you know, the long speech and Alex. Yeah. And Alex uh, passes out, you know, after a sentence or two. And so. I think the notion is like, okay, well, the little guy's tuckered out, so we'll leave him alone.
1: Yeah, he covers him up with a blanket, you know, figures like Alex never oversleeps. Alex always has an alarm. It's fine. He'll be fine. He's very responsible and leaves him to sleep it off.
0: Yeah. And then we get the next morning... It's debatable, but I think this is supposed to be our Oscar scene or our yes. Emmy scene for for Absolutely. Michael J. Fox. We've already had a few. You know, this is say, like this his, episode his Malcolm X or on his, it's own. you know, Schindler's List. <laughs> this but, episode
1: uh, on its own could just be put yeah. in for contention. But
0: yeah, the mom and dad both come in and are like, Alex, your your test started an hour and a half ago. You're You're still asleep and we get total stupor you know he's he can't find the door he's just he's he's like a baby
1: well he goes he is like trying to wake up trying to get his things to his things together and then he's like well and then he's like wait i need to wake up and like dives for the garbage can to get the pills and and can't get them and that's when he bangs his head on the filing cabinet like i'm so stupid i never miss an alarm oh and he gets up and he like runs over and he runs to the wrong side of the room because like you know it's a semester. Sort of window shape behind yeah. him So he runs to the wrong side of the room And he's like where's the door Yeah, yeah He's so I, discombobulated
0: Yeah and so yeah we get the total Sort of breakdown You know and they say basically Don't bother going to the test uh, You know it's, it's too late And he sort of collapses The mom says remember how you feel right now Which is a very true thing with addiction You've got to just really like kind of Pay attention to all those sensations And how horrible it is And yeah, you know, it's another sort of like gee, I guess you guys were right. I guess I shouldn't use drugs.
1: Well, and he tells them everything that happened and then Mallory comes in.
0: Oh, yeah. And that was another, that's kind of what got me thinking about that whole sort of like how how nice their relationship is yeah. because he's like, mom and dad know about everything. And she's like, oh, they know I got you drugs. And he's like, well, not bad.
1: He's like, I didn't tell him that part. And they were like, Mallory, what? And then she comes clean for her part in it. And, he, and Alex is like, she tried to stop me every single time. And, you know, I'm really sorry. And then he apologizes for going into her purse and making like, you know, manipulating her basically into getting him pills over and over again. And then, like, of course, the last like kicker joke, because we have to end on a joke, is that he still has that date tonight with Effie. Oh,
0: Effie. Yeah, of course. Someday we'll get Effie's song. But, uh, yeah, in terms of tracking the trope, again, all of those confrontations, all of those sort of Oscar worthy moments and the big freakouts and everything. And, yeah, again, I personally relate to this angle of like intellectualizing addiction and right. sort of going like, especially as a younger person saying, I'm I'm too smart to have issues with drugs and I can get all of the benefits and none of the consequences if I just kind of play my cards right and just continue to be smart.
1: Right, because I'm using this. I know I'm using it as a drug, so I'm doing it explicitly in this way and this way and this way so that anytime I'm ready to just turn that part off because I know I don't need it normally because I'm amazing, I can. And then... That's what drugs do. They don't ever let you feel like you're back to normal without them.
0: Yeah. And then I guess the only other thing, maybe, to say in terms of this cliche evolving, you know, if you had at the time of Welcome Back Cotter, it would still, I feel like, be kind of a new thing. I mean, I'm sure there have always been, as long as there have been sitcoms, there have been do gooder episodes and stuff. But I feel like that would be before the point where it was a cliche to have like
1: a very special episode. Yes.
0: To have a sitcom be tackling drug abuse. And then I think this family ties one, we're watching the cliche really take shape.
1: This is the taking of... Because the after-school specials definitely existed in the 70s. Right. I think what I'm So this is about. like the taking of the after-school yes. special and kind of plopping it into these... Exactly. ...sitcoms. Absorbing
0: them into the DNA of these family sitcoms so that we will not only entertain, we'll give you a little something to, to think about, you know. And we're, we're one notch away from going, you know, if you would like to learn more about drug addiction, visit your local library. You know, like, I feel <laughs> like that's the road we're on with this. Family Ties. Yes. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, Family Ties is so good that you're seeing the way, like, it, not invented, but maybe the same way, the same way John Carpenter's Halloween kind of took the Hitchcock stuff from yesteryear and, like, packaged it into this much more digestible, popular thing. I think Family Ties took all these Thing, all these ideas floating around the the after school specials and the you know reefer madness type things and the family sitcoms and created this system where almost every episode could be a different life lesson or be a different issue that the modern world or that a modern family would face but they do it in a way that's kind of believable and it's like sure when you take a step back and you go like gee this one family had this survey course of like every single problem that could possibly have happened to an american family it starts to seem weird but in the individual episodes it doesn't because like i said they're grounded and realistic and characters are well played and everything and that's how you get you know the stuff of the the rest of the 80s and 90s where it's just a bunch of cheesy lessons and morals and yeah,
1: I mean, I think not right away, though. Like, even that Webster episode that we covered, where the burnout episode where Webster set the fire, and that was a very, like, teaching moment for kids who were watching that. You know, like I said, definitely had the conversation with my parents about not playing with matches uh, after watching that episode. That's 84. This is 83. Yeah. So, you know, this is kind of all happening. I think a lot of the good sitcoms at the time are doing exactly what you're talking about. They're kind of taking those ideas, starting to put them in and and say something in the context of their show about how you might handle this as a family. And then once a few good ones do it, then all the bad ones start doing it. And then it becomes stayed.
0: Right. On that note, moving on to Saved by the Bell.
1: So Saved by the Bell, this is season two, episode nine, Jesse's Song. So this is the iconic everyone has seen it, everyone knows about it, caffeine pill addiction episode.
0: Yeah, totally. Now, we should say that that is the case for a specific age group, and I have to kind of remind myself that, like, not everybody was born in between 1978 and 1983 and watched Saved by the Bell every single day after school and then again when the new ones came out on Saturday mornings.
1: Yes, but this scene is so ubiquitous. Like... yeah memes now people still use it and and the young the young folks still use this but i guess
0: what i'm saying is if you asked me to personally perform a one-man show of this entire episode verbatim i could do that whereas (laughs) for people older and younger than us it's like oh that was that cheesy show from the 90s where the girl has the crazy breakdown right but
1: most of us don't have your encyclopedia Uh. knowledge of saved by the bell (laughs) (laughs)
0: So Saved by the Bell, we've talked about it before. This is, even though it's an NBC show it sort of mirrors the rise of Nickelodeon and the sort of Disney Channel. This is stuff, we're starting to see the beginnings of stuff made only for kids and no interest in entertaining the rest of the family. And again, it-, it
1: Well, it, it was a Saturday morning right. show, just like just like Silver Spoons.
0: Yes, it aired on Saturday mornings and then again in ubiquitous uh, syndication after school. And the whole- mentality of it is just you know you could not get farther from the family ties grounded in reality thing this is a show where if you want to show that one of your teenager characters is smart you have him have a robot that he built himself and who can walk and talk and you know hang out with you the first episode i remember of watching saved by the bell is the one where screech and kelly have a little thing and so they do that bit of showing the montage of the rumor creeping across school and then eventually they show you george bush and gorbachev talking with the subtitle of kelly and screech and then the footage of the international space station with the subtitles of kelly and screech so like the whole thing is this heightened ridiculous silly take on the world which makes it all the more preposterous, I think, when they try to do these super serious, heavy episodes.
1: Sure, but for the actors, I mean, I think Elizabeth Berkeley has given interviews in the, you know, intervening years between this show and now and um, talking just about how nice it was to kind of, as an actress, you know, yes, she's playing a teenager, yes, she's a young woman, but to get something meaty and juicy to play and, you know, I think the uh, the jury's still out on whether or not it was a solid performance well, or an over the top performance.
0: Here's what I'll say: let's let's hold off on that particular scene until we get to it. But my take has always been, in general, that the acting on Saved by the Bell is pretty good, and that. It really, it's not their fault that everything about the show is absurd, that the writing right. is it's absurd. it's hokey,
1: and it's ho- purposefully hokey, because it's for kids, just like Wizards of Waverly Place isn't going to win an Emmy, you know what I mean? Exactly,
0: and I think that all of them, with the possible exception, unfortunately, of Dustin Diamond, I think they all do a pretty good job of holding their own with this stuff, whether it's the cheesy jokes, whether it's the over-the-top drama that they attempt sometimes, I don't think the acting is Primarily at fault. So, so let's break it down. It begins with Jesse in the max. She's drinking coffee, even though she says she doesn't like coffee. This is another Alex P. situation. She's overwhelmed by the pressures of her, her tests.
1: Right. She is not doing well in geometry. She is the, you know, straight A student, always does well in everything. And she's got this massive geometry test, and it's just not well, clicking for I her.
0: I mean, Slater explains why, what the problem is, girls suck at math. That's right. right. That's- he,
1: he very clearly explains it. Uh, by the way, this episode is also their first kiss.
0: Really? Yeah. I was paying a lot of attention to the, to the Slater and Jesse dynamic here. They have, you know, th- there's all different eras of Saved by the Bell. Sometimes Zach and Slater are sort of vying for Kelly's attention, but For a big chunk in the middle of the show, Slater and Jesse are this romantic pairing. For a while, they're just sort of flirting in this opposites attract way, and then eventually they're boyfriend and girlfriend, but they're still always fighting. But it's presented as this like, hey, what a crazy couple. She's an opinionated, you know, sort of political activist, kind of very intelligent young woman, and he's a sexist slob. (laughs) What a fun combination. And yet, the reality is, especially... Especially in this one, it's just like Slater is bringing nothing to the table. you know, I mean, he's bringing his dimples and his muscles and he's an amazing (laughs) looking guy. But literally every single thing he says is just a dig that girls suck at math. Why He says literally, why weren't you born a man? Like, it's not even a funny joke. It's no. just like, girls suck, guys rule. I don't know.
1: So take all of that stuff you were saying about Alex P. Keaton being able, or or Michael J. Yeah. Fox being able to deliver a line that was, you know, misogynistic or seemingly out of touch um, or, you know, dated in some sort of like gender roles or whatever and being able to say it with like a wink. So that it was still funny, that does not exist in the world of Saved by the Bell. We just have Slater being like, hey, mama, too bad you can't be like a guy and good at math. And she, Jesse, just like rolls her eyes at him and and gives it, you know, gives it right back, like, well, you know, you're a muscle bound idiot or something like that. But because it's become this banter of theirs, Mm -hmm. even though. Slater isn't playing it in the same way that Alex P. Keaton is playing it where it is adorable. It's Jesse that's playing it in such a way that allows him to kind of get away with it because she's not taking him seriously. She's rolling her eyes and telling him and he's an idiot. And yet they're still flirting.
0: Yeah, no, the show sees this as totally good people on both sides. Like this is like Slater's thing is he's a little bit sexist. Jesse's thing is, like I said, she's kind of an activist. And if anything, she's often portrayed in the light of she's annoying and she takes things too seriously. Well, that's
1: what always happens to smart women. What are you you saying, Jay? You don't notice this in the world? <laughs> no, I, I was
0: aware of it at 12 years old watching Jesse on Saved by the Bell. Oh, so, man. <laughs> yeah, she's trying to keep her head above water, studying for exams and everything. The gang is filtering in and they cheer her up in the usual way of having your girlfriends come hover over you and all singing in perfect harmony to this like semi-diegetic music track. And and that's that's their thing, right? Never never before this episode or or since, but in this episode, that's what they do to blow off steam.
1: That's right. Hey, you're feeling down, come on, let's show her what we've been working on, Lisa. And then they start singing, Tonight's a night we're gonna make it happen and yeah. they're all like harmonizing and stuff and so and the guys are like,
0: What? Oh yeah. This is the first of three songs we get in this Episode. We should mention, of course, in addition to all the drug stuff, Saved by the Bell has all kinds of different musical expeditions. Sometimes they're a band called Zack Attack. Sometimes they're a doo-wop group called the Five Aces. In this particular case, the three of them-the three girls. Right. They're not a band yet because Zack has not invented them, Phil Spector style. (laughs) So, yeah, this is establishing that Jesse is being pulled from all sides because, in addition to having to prepare for all of these. Uh, midterms or tests she also has this like amateur singing thing which so far uh hasn't been a big deal but it's it's going to become a big deal when they they record a demo tape against their will Because of, you know, because of Screech in one of his most famous disguises, Sinead O'Connor.
1: So Zach at the max, when they do their little like impromptu harmonizing thing says, you know, my dad knows a record executive and he's been looking for a girl group just like you guys. Maybe I could get you guys an audition. And Jesse says, no. And the girls are like, oh, come on, Jesse. It's no big deal. Like, you know. Let's do it. And so I guess they, you know, Zach sends off their information, but they don't have like a tape that they're sending off. And he sends off their pictures and the record exec is interested because they're hot.
0: Yeah, now to right? be clear, this, I'm not sure if this is before or after the time when Zach sends their pictures to a modeling agency and also against their will, like starts them in careers as models. Uh, this is something that Zach likes to do. To them. right, of he likes to them. hook his
1: friends up with all sorts of, yeah. uh, all sorts of entertainment submit gigs.
0: Submit them to various agencies and organizations. <laughs> yeah, but so.
1: As a side plot to whatever else is happening. But this is a jam-packed episode. Yes. So right. then the record that says, I'm interested, well, well, give me on. a demo, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, the, the, they need to make a demo. And so I, I feel like this is almost as infamous as Jesse's breakdown. Right. You know, their solution to everything in Saved by the Bell is disguises. And right? we have
1: these, to record the girls in the locker room.
0: Yes, these people are not capable of recognizing their best friend standing two feet away from them if they're wearing a funny wig or glasses or something. And so, like I said, this is one of Screech's many disguises, but I think one of his most beloved, he goes into the girls' locker room with this, you know, he's he's dressed as an old lady, and when they ask him what his name is, he says, Sinead O'Connor, and... Uh, it's just a funny joke, I guess, that he couldn't think of anything else. This was well, when she was doing, super famous.
1: He's doing an Irish accent right. as well. And then he says to the girls, like, oh, you know what I like to do, lassies, when I'm sad, I like to sing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he gets them to, again, all sing in perfect harmony. Uh, he, he says, why don't you go ahead and sing into my broomstick and pretend like it's a tape recorder. The, the, <laughs> like the mop handle, yes. Request.
1: Just sing into it like it's a
0: microphone. Right, which I guess it is. I guess he has a microphone in his mop handle. And yeah, I don't know like what the other, you know, aspiring girl groups are that they're competing against that this, you know, surreptitiously recorded demo with no backing music or anything in the locker room is good enough for this you know, so far unseen record executive to say, yeah, story checks out. Let's move to the next next phase here.
1: So between the demo and the pictures, the record exec says, that's it. We want to do a music video with you.
0: And so there's a lot happening here. So now they're on board with making a music video. At some point, Zach tells them that the name of their band is Hot Sunday.
1: That's right. You have now become Hot Sunday because you needed a name.
0: They all just immediately are on board. I mean, like, granted, it's it's a pretty good name. But (laughs) it's just like nobody questions him at all any point like they have no input in the fact that this group even exists in what its name is in whether or not they're recording demos like they're
1: just girls Jay yeah they're well, just along for the ride in a man's world
0: well Zach refers to them as my girls at that's one point. right he says, my <laughs> girls are singing tonight again the the Phil Spector of Bayside High Zach Morris uh, But yeah, <laughs> hopefully
1: I'm, doesn't end up murdering anyone
0: though I think it's before they get to their music video, Jesse sits down with Mr. Belding who's eating lunch in the max by himself, right? Because this is they just you just always have to love that Saved by the Bell has, like, their three sets. Like, the hallway, the classroom, the max. Like, anything that happens in this world has to happen in one of these three places. It so, can
1: happen in a locker room as well. That's they can, true. They can that's move true. the lockers from the hallway set and yeah. make them into a locker room.
0: So Mr. Belding is eating lunch by himself in the max, and Jessie sits down and talks to him and says, you know, this is a thing for her on a lot of episodes. She needs to get into Stanford. You know, this is part of the... the intro of the clip I pulled for the beginning of our podcast, I never get into Stanford. And so he says, Oh, don't worry, there's a school for everybody. Zach got into a college, I'm sure you'll get in somewhere. And so this gives us our requisite pink bordered fantasy, right? right. That we often have dream
1: sequence, where I believe that there's a movie that's like this right now or more recently. There was like a movie in the like frat bro, bro era of mm-hmm. movies that came out that was like this. That was like a fake school oh, that yeah. Justin Long started or mm-hmm. something. Um, so this is called Surf You. Yeah. And Zach is like the coolest guy at school, of course. And everybody gets accepted to Surf You. And that's where Jesse shows up in her... It looks like the outfit that, what's her name, um, Rory had to wear to her private school in Gilmore Girls. So um, Jessie shows up in that, ready for her first day of college, ready to study, and everybody's at the pool.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, exactly what you would think. She's she's having this fantasy where she's dreading that she couldn't get into anything but this, you know, crazy college. I feel like this was a play on those movies in the 80s. They would always have, like, ski university or surf university, and it would just be like a ribald sex comedy with right. a bunch of young it's people. It's a party are... school. Exactly. And she's
1: bummed that it's not an academic institution, and she that's what she wanted right. to get into. And so the only school, because she couldn't pass geometry— that would accept her was surf
0: you. Yeah, I just find it funny, you know, one of the other times we were talking about Saved by the Bell, it was the pink-bordered fantasy about about Screech's mom having dropped dead of the shock that he he lost her, he, he broke her statue or whatever. But in both cases, they always have to make sure that Mr. Belding comes in at the end. That's you right. know, Dennis Haskins, he doesn't get a lot to do sometimes in these episodes. So they're like, you need to bring him in as the sort of final button on the fantasy sequence. So in this case, what, he just kind of comes in as like a crazy old beach bum guy. and He's, he's like,
1: like the dean or something. Yeah. And he's like, hey guys, time to
0: go to class. Yeah, Surf's because up. The whole joke is, as it often is in those moments, it's like, no, I don't take this seriously either. You know, whoever it is that's having this this fantasy or this nightmare. Yeah, I'm not on your side either. You know,
1: right? Well, and neither was Mr. Belding in real life because he was like, hey, you know what? My brother got into a good school and I didn't. And look, look where I ended up. And Jesse was just like, don't yeah. mean to be rude, but I don't really want to be a high school
0: principal. Yeah, but when we get back to the max post-fantasy, Jessie is sort of like, has this new resolve, and she says, I'm going to ace this test no matter what. Right? right. So that's like the beginning of the end. And I love that she shakes Belding's hand. It was just such a funny little bit of business to me that that she decided to shake his hand before she left the scene. So before they get to their video, we do have the nighttime study session where Slater comes over to help her.
1: And this is where they have their first kiss. um, But he also discovers that she has caffeine pills sitting on her desk yeah and he's like well what do you need these for and she's like oh i haven't taken them yet but i was thinking you know because i need to stay up late and study and i've got right. all this stuff going on you don't
0: get to see her soliloquy where she paces around the room like alex p keaton right
1: no not yet but she's just like it's fine like you know they're they're they sell them over the counter they're not dangerous i only was gonna you know have them if i needed them because i you know was thinking i might have to stay up late and study but i'm feeling good now i don't you know you helped me i don't feel like i need to study anymore. And he's like, okay, good. We'll throw those away. And she's like, I will, I will. And then he goes to leave. And then she runs after him and gives him a kiss.
0: Yeah. And it's funny. I didn't realize that that was their first kiss because I thought it was weird when he says I'll never wash these lips again yeah. <laughs> and I just thought like alright guy calm down like it's not that big a deal isn't she but, your
1: girlfriend yeah. <laughs> no not yet at this point and that was why it was a big deal and the big you know the audience woos at Saved by the Bell anytime there's oh, a kiss yeah. so you can't you you wouldn't know if it was like the first one or not unless you did like I did which was look it up but that also we also get the establishment in this scene of Zach jumping through the window that yes. that that's his way of coming over to say yes, hey to Jesse. Vinny
0: Delpino style. Yeah,
1: he comes through the window just like Sam on Clarissa explains it all. Yes and tells her while Slater's there that the video is going to happen, that they want him to make a music video. So she's feeling more confident about geometry, but now she's going to have to take time off because she's got to do this music video. So she's not going to have as much time to study as she thought. So she sends Slater on his way, gives him the kiss goodbye and then immediately decides that she's going to take the pills because if she can't study tomorrow, because of the music video, she's got to stay up all night. Yeah,
0: tonight. there's not enough hours in the day. I relate. It's funny how I think coming through the window is like the universal sign of a platonic friend. Yes. You know, it's like if we're boy and girl, but. You know, but we're just friends, then you don't need as much privacy. You can hop in through the window. If you're a romantic suitor, you come in through the door and keep everything. That's on, right. Up Parents
1: and up. have to know that you're here if right. you're a romantic suitor. If you're just the boy next door that you grew up with, you can come through the window. Right. That's how a lot of teen pregnancies happen. Mm.
0: So we get the video itself, full video, like three or four verses, choruses, like this is not truncated. We get every 80s music video trick in the book oh yeah weird superimposing the close-ups over the wide shots the canted angles the jump cuts where they change outfits oh, yes. mid bounce off of a trampoline they each have their own uh personal trampoline this is like a hybrid music video slash jazzercise workout it
1: is thing. and they are in jane fonda-esque workout attire yes. like they have, you know, the bike shorts with the leotard and the like the thong leotard over it so that you're not seeing anything untoward. You're just seeing like the hot pink bike shorts. Oh, yeah, they're dressed. And I mean, but it's I mean, very cute. Everybody has their own look. Um, lots of side pony and like bows mm-hmm. and everything. It's, it's was very 80s, even... 90s.
0: Based on, like, I'm looking back on it now, like, Um, because you had, like... Let's
1: get physical. Okay, that's what I was going to ask.
0: Olivia Newton-John... I know she was known for like the workout stuff and the music stuff. And you're saying the video for let's get physical was like that. The I video don't for
1: let's get physical is a workout video. Okay. Yeah. So it's very much like, and off. that, but that's not the only reference. You know what I mean? Like there definitely were other ones that did right. that, but this is straight up. I mean, then the song is called break a sweat. Or no, whatever. Oh, definitely. It and all so it's, fits together. It's, that's what the theme is for yes. the thing.
0: But as I was watching it this time, I was going like, Oh yeah. Like all those music, videos that were also workout videos and then i'm like wait a minute what were there was that a thing like i don't remember madonna having workouts in her music videos. maybe
1: not so much but the um the flash dance she's a maniac that is almost like a workout video i mean it's a It's a dance video, but it's similarly. And again, these are all like 80s cheesy things. We're in the early 90s now, but still.
0: Yeah, no, but it's appropriate for this because with the workout and all the energy and like you're saying, it's a way to sort of keep them dressed modestly, but still sort of show off their hot bods like it's uh, I don't know. And so, yeah, we get this crazy video. By all means, you know, if you're not familiar with this, you just gotta watch the you know, look and enjoy (laughs) hot Sunday or whatever on YouTube. Uh, and this is this is a original Composition. Yeah, right? I don't Just know put this your song mind from to a, a Go yeah. for it thing. Yeah, it's it's like the same five words over and yes. over again. But this isn't like I'm so excited where they're it's a Pointer Sisters song. Yeah, no, right.
1: this not that I know of. I think that I, don't, I haven't heard this anywhere but here.
0: Okay, and so now we're back at school, and this is where we start to get the overlap with stuff like Welcome Back, Cotter, where you've got Slater trying to consult the other friends, you know, telling Zach. What do we do here? I think Jesse is getting hooked on pills.
1: Right, because now he does find them in her locker, right? After she said she was going to throw them away, and this is where we do get the scene that we see from, like, Freddie Washington and Alex P. Keaton, the, like, you know, Slater, he asks if he can borrow a pencil or something, Mm -hmm. and she's like, oh, yeah, it's in my backpack. He reaches into her backpack and her locker and feels the pills, and... I is like, uh, what the heck are these? And she's like, I believe this is what you were looking for. How dare you, you know, like, whatever. Why don't you just mind your own business? I need to stay awake and study. You know, I'm fully in control of this. You shouldn't be snooping, you know, kind of in, you know, blows him off. And he's a little like, uh, crap, what do I do? Yeah. So he tells Zach.
0: Yeah, who says they were probably vitamins. So Zach is full on casting himself in the role of the Arnold Horschach. We also get there's a lot that goes on in like two minutes here, because even in between those two things in my notes, I have the manic midpoint. We have the part again, just like oh, every other right. episode, where Jesse is going, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be awesome. Come on, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone else is like, okay, good, I guess. Yeah, because they go to do a rehearsal
1: because going to have a live performance at the max that night and then also i think the geometry test is like last period or something
0: yeah she so, does she takes her test yeah. unlike unlike alex
1: yeah so she takes her test she finishes it, like, right away, you know, right before she goes in for the test. She's like, yeah, everybody, I feel so ready for this. I'm so ready to go. The square of the hypotenuse and blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know, just lists off the Pythagorean theorem correctly, not like the scarecrow does it incorrectly. And And she's like, I'm ready. I'm so ready. Woo. And then they have rehearsal right after school at the max and it goes well. And she does that thing of like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's going to be great. We're going to be amazing, aren't we? Woo. And everyone's like, yeah, Jess, we're, we're ready. And she's, everybody goes home to shower and change. And Zach says, okay, I'll pick you up on my way. We can just ride together. Cause like, you know, apparently they live next door to each other. And she was like, okay, see you then. And then the next scene we get is she's asleep on her bed, not having showered, like in the same clothes from the rehearsal. And Zach jumps through the window yeah, into iconic television moment.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, this is very similar to the Alex scene, but again, she she didn't miss her test. She's she's about to miss the performance. She's all groggy. And then, of course, you know, she says something, oh, I have to get ready, I have to change or whatever. And Zach says, well, there's no time for that. And that's where she starts going, there's no time. There's never any time. There's no time to study. There's no time to learn the music. And she just starts breaking down. And again, I would say as much as we clown on it, like, she's doing what she's supposed to do and so she is that. a good
1: job. I know. I uh, Like, I people make fun of it and like I said, jury's out, but I was impressed. They, you don't expect these kids, I mean, they're in their 20s, but you don't expect people on shows like this to have the best acting chops. She did a good job. I, it was effective. I'm so scared.
0: Yeah, she starts, of course, that's the most famous part. She starts saying, I'm so excited, I'm so excited, and then it turns into I'm so scared. She, you know, sort of collapses into a heap in in zach's arms and then i always thought zach's comforting tack could have used another polish he says remember that time when we were little kids and we were riding our bicycles home from from seeing et in the movies and it was really dark we were scared then and that's it like there's no like you couldn't go back and maybe come up with like hey remember a time where where I was, I was in over my head and I didn't think I would get through it. But then you, you helped me, you know, like he, he couldn't come up with something a little more substantial to connect this. All he does is just think of another time when we were scared.
1: But I think the point is that they were together yeah, and that it was okay. Like he, he said, it's okay. I'm here. Remember that time. And so he's saying like, it's okay. Like we'll get through anything if we're together.
0: Yeah. I think I I could have used just one more sentence because having seen this a million times i know all he gets to is we were scared then and that's all that that's 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 his words of wisdom she
1: misses the thing that she misses isn't the test she misses the performance for the record executives so we cut to
0: that right cut to the the performance at the max again if there is ever a show an event or anything everything takes place at the max and you know, we sort of find out in real time what their makeshift solution to Jesse's absence is, right? Because we get first, you know, they start the music, Kelly pops up from, you know, underneath the frame and then, you know, uh, Lisa spins into the frame and then we get Screech comes in through the front door and he's dancing, uh,
1: Badly lip syncing to Jesse's part, right. they were just lip syncing to the
0: part that track. she would have been lip syncing to. Yeah.
1: Right, they're just playing it from a track, and so and then Slater's like, "Sorry, we couldn't have them sing live." You know, our our uh, the girl who usually plays the you know the part that that weird guy was playing, she wasn't able to make it, had an emergency or whatever. So that's the end of Hot Sunday.
0: Yeah, and so they all go back and they have this sort of bedside moment where jesse's in the bed and she's all you know she's in a robe and all kind of calm and you know recovering and you know she kind of apologizes to everyone and says oh you know uh, sorry i got in over a head she says to slater i wasn't very nice to you what the fuck are you talking about like this guy has never said anything except like sexist misogynist bullshit like he don't apologize to him he's the least supportive person in the world
1: except for he was the one that noticed that she was on drugs and tried to stop her and she told him to fuck off i mean in a saved by the well bell fuck off way but you know that's what she's referring i
0: don't think she owes slater (laughs) anything you get Uh, to be
1: a dick to slater in perpetuity because he is constantly putting
0: you down yeah but uh, Jesse says, I have to go to counseling. I have to learn that I don't have to be the best at everything. So it's a very, you know, as is to be expected, this is, you know... The messaging is very clear. We're speaking directly to the, you know, 10 to 15 year old kids that are watching this and saying, don't take things too seriously. Not only don't do drugs, but, you know, don't succumb to the the pressures of school and, you know, your friend slash uh, like talent manager."
1: Right. So now we're going to go from a show where the actors are very comfortable and confident in their roles of we are doing this show for kids. Right. Mm -hmm. To a show where, well, everyone who's supposed to be in high school has sort of aged out, but they're still playing it, albeit
0: grumpily. Uh <laughs> that's one word for it. Uh, I'll take that to mean we are moving on to family matters.
1: Season 7, episode 14, Life in the Fast Lane.
0: Yeah, poor Jaleel White.
1: Wow. This,
0: I would say it's child abuse, but he is not a child. No, uh, he's
1: 20. He and Laura both are 20 in real life.
0: He is enormous. Uh, like he's just a grown man and and like a strapping good looking yes. young man you totally see why they had to do that Urkel stuff the poor yeah. guy was just like I can't do this anymore like, Well, and
1: what he's having to like, the gymnastics he's having to do to do the Urkel voice yes. still you can hear it in his voice like he started it when he was a little middle schooler talking like this and it was fine and now he is like he's having to talk yes. up in this weird false Voice and still be nasally, and he is struggling. It's
0: insufferable. Yeah, there's this weird irony where as he gets older, his voice gets higher because he has to do this crazy thing. It used to just be, yeah, he was a little kid and he leaned into it and made it a little more whiny and nasally, but now it is like nails on the chalkboard. Oh, uh, I just, rough. I
1: was like, wow, no wonder he was so annoyed playing this role. Because, I mean, at this point in the show, I had kind of dropped off watching it you know we were in that time that we always talk about where we were kind of in high school and we were busy and yeah. we weren't really home on friday nights watching family television as much anymore and i was just like this was not an urkel i remember nor is it a laura that i remember she has like the short very cool yeah, like tlc the Haley ha- Barry,
0: haircut the Halle yeah. berry early 2000s or late 90s sort of look
1: oh uh, yeah i i think of it as um t Boz from tlc sure she had that same kind of haircut and yeah. Yeah, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, and she's supposed to be this like high school cheerleader, and she and her three girlfriends are practicing cheers in their living room and they look like college. I mean, they look like grown-ass women in cheerleading outfits." Yeah,
0: everyone is too old, but beyond that, this episode I feel like is going to is is a little bit of an outlier from the rest of them, right? We're going to have what is sort of a, a somewhat serious or trying to be serious story about Laura dealing with pressures to do with her, her body image. And, My feeling was trying to process that it's like trying to have a conversation with your adult friend while their kid is next to you, like screaming and yelling and going like, Hey, look at me, you know, like the show trying to do this serious story about Laura and her contemplating diet pills because of uh, the criticism she's getting on the cheerleading team and the way they have to sort of weave that in or the way they have to combine that with this Urkel story so that it somehow ends up with Urkel acting crazy while still Laura learns a lesson about doing drugs and body image and stuff. Like, it's just so awkward and weird that a little Yes,
1: no, it is a little shoehorned. And the thing that I found the most confusing, okay? So the way this all starts off is the vitamins of it all. Yeah. Right? So Laura has vitamin C, actual vitamin C in her bag. And Urkel is, like, has intruded on the cheerleading practice because he couldn't find... I guess at this point in the show, he's living with them.
0: I was wondering that, because later he's having dinner with them. And so I just assumed, okay, the, the writers of this show just went, screw it, where everyone loves Urkel, he just lives with them now, let's not even...
1: Yeah, I, th- I feel like there was some construct at some point where sure. his family was moving away, exactly. and it was almost the end of high school, so he was going to stay, or something like that. But he does live with them now, which is why he's always coming down from a upstairs and he's there for all meals and not just like coming in through the front door. Hey, Carl, you yeah. know, he just lives there. So, he comes downstairs cuz he couldn't find the vitamin C upstairs and Laura's like, "Oh, I had it in my backpack. Just grab it." So, and and he's like, "Oh, thanks. I got to chase these germs away." And he takes a bunch of vitamin C and then in the next scene we see him, he's all hyped up. He's acting really weird and hyper at the dinner. They're having dinner and he's eating and he's like <laughs> well, hang on. and so- he's got and he's got mashed potatoes all over his face and he's acting so weird. And I was like, wait a minute, are we already in diet pill realm? But no, we weren't. He just gets a pep from vitamin C, which he explains later on when he goes down after the diet pills have replaced the vitamin C in Uh Laura's backpack. He's like, can't wait to get my pep from my vitamin C and get rid of these germies. And he takes a bunch of the diet pills. And, and then the over-the-topness is even more over-the-top. But it was so confusing to me knowing going in that I was going to be watching a show about some type of pill reaction and seeing yeah. it happen first.
0: I'm getting confused before now. Before
1: the pills came into play. I was like, what? What's happening? Yes,
0: I don't remember all of these twists and turns. Uh, but yeah, it stands to reason that Urkel... On vitamins would be just as weird as a normal person on (laughs) on hard drugs. But, yeah, the crux of this is going to be that at the uh, living room cheerleader practice that you mentioned, the four person cheerleader practice, the cheer captain tell, you know, she has issues with all of them. She's uh, she's like big red in. In Bring It On, uh, she's she's a bossy, you know, critical cheerleader, and she has issues with Maxine, the friend. Maxine's skirt is too short, and the other one has some problem, and Laura is too fat. She says, you can't be at the top of the pyramid anymore. You've gained weight.
1: right. Which by the way, all of these girls are like five nine. None of them would be the top of the pyramid. It's all the girl who flies is always like barely five feet tall.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't really have much of a sense of scale on family matters. I feel like they all everyone kind of looks normal size to They're me.
1: They're all tall because when Steve walks in the room, who again is a very tall guy, he is only a few inches taller than them. But um so yeah, so she finds out she can't be at the top of the pyramid anymore. So I don't remember who She ends up getting the diet pills from.
0: I wanted to mention that because I don't know if they get, if they flesh out the character the way Effie was in Family Ties, but we get the same fat shaming of the off screen friend because we have her say, I traded them for a box of ding-dongs. I think That's it's like right. Maxine's cousin or something like but that. But Maxine
1: gets mad that she has them. So then she, like Mallory, is the conduit and so. the, the, like... Mule. Yeah, she's the... So the friend is in...
0: The reluctant uh, yes, sister. Yes, there yeah. you go.
1: That's what I'm looking for.
0: I think so. Yeah, and then Laura even makes reference. She says, you sound like an after school special. Yes, so she does. So at this point, we're into the 90s. This cliche has fully blossomed, and now we need to acknowledge when you know the dialogue in our right. This isn't like going to be
1: a very special episode of Family Matters. This is going to be a wacky episode of Family Matters where we make fun of yeah. very special well, episodes.
0: I feel like at this point, Family Matters and Full House had just crested into this zone where every episode is a semi. You know, like they always have some schmaltzy thing. There, there's no ebbs and flows. They're just always sort of on this cruise control level of specialness
1: of specialness <laughs> i don't know if you mean that in a nice way jay <laughs> um so steve starts sneezing again he comes back downstairs grabs the vitamin c that you the vitamin c right. bottle or that so he thinks laura has now replaced the vitamins with these diet yeah. pills i
0: also just want to mention she says to maxine I won't get addicted, I know what I'm doing. That's That's a direct quote. So just tracking that subtrope, that same exact mentality as Alex.
1: And she also, Maxine asks her, well, if you're not worried about them, why are you hiding them in a vitamin C bottle? Which is another thing that we see, like, if you think you can handle it, why are you trying to hide yeah. it? Like, why Well, you understanding
0: you need to keep it a secret. And uh, yeah, and just that, yeah, exactly. That sort of paradoxical, like, oh, I don't really need it. I just have to have it. That's you know? right.
1: So Steve comes back down and he grabs a vitamin C bottle and takes what he thinks are vitamin C pills, but are diet pills. And he takes one or two and keeps sneezing. And he's like, oh, germies, you're not going to get me now. And then we see him just take like a handful. He has
0: a little ritual, like a little song or something he does where he's like one and two and three. And yeah, he takes like a a whole bunch of them in succession. And we have, again, manic, crazy episode.
1: That's right. He's going out to help Carl in the garage put up shelves which yes. is the best part of this episode this was
0: very good yeah we get i have to say carl you know we get this sort of montage this contrast where they're on opposite sides of this with like a woodshed or something yeah it's the garage and, uh, and
1: they're hanging shelves yeah. right
0: and so we keep cutting back and forth and carl putting up this this shelf you know he's playing it in this way that's meant to be a contrast to the manic energy of steve so they have him just very sort of leisurely like bopping along and he kind of lines up his nail just right and kind of with a little swing in his step kind of lifts up the hammer like they're just portraying him in a way that's just so like Pleasing. he's like the bob ross of putting up shelves
1: i was gonna say it's very bob vila very like i yes. know how to do this this old house kind of like yes, easy it was really feeling nice mentality to watch
0: yeah. and then of course the contrast is steve going nuts and they're doing the thing where like they're sort of showing closer shots right so you don't totally get the big picture of what steve is doing
1: is doing and and he's like sped up a little bit too Mm -hmm. like the tape is a little bit sped up but so he's like he measures one board and then throws all the other boards on top of it and gets out two saws and stands on top of the boards and starts cutting them all at once and it was just i mean it was very physical comedy gold and
0: at at one point he he screams and he does a karate chop (laughs) and i have to say like Totally genuine laugh-out-loud moment for me, which, again, I think I said the same thing last time we watched Family Matters. If a Family Matters episode achieves, like, a straight, you know, unironic, unambiguous laugh-out-loud moment, you know, it's a victory.
1: Uh, Well, and it's done it twice now. It, It... Steve Urkel, even though he is way too old and his pants are too high, and I can see too much moose knuckle, and all of that being true, he is still hilarious. Yeah.
0: Well, and Carl is very funny. Reginald VelJohnson Johnson plays it, you know, when they're both finished with their handiwork. And so, <laughs> this is the Reginald part that made Bell me Johnson, laugh out loud. Yeah, he's standing back looking at the one shelf that he's put up over this period of time, and then he turns turns around and screams when he sees you know the 37 like askew some upside down shelves that steve has put on like it looks like a horror show funhouse. it thing.
1: looks like um you know those marble runs that you can build on yeah. a wall uh-huh. like that's what it looks like it looks like some sort of um, right or
0: like a wacky bank that your coins can like, right trail can go down.
1: down exactly it's some sort of um rube goldberg marble run device on the wall
0: so everything kind of comes to a head uh harriet the wife comes in laura and and the friends all come in and it's sort of revealed you know kind of like the horshack situation like we know what happened here uh Steve Urkel accidentally took my diet pills thinking that they were vitamins. Steve goes, you mean I'm on drugs? I've got to, I've got to, I've got to dance. And he breaks into this crazy dancing thing again. Like That's
1: right. He's like scooting around like pelvis first all the way around while they're having this serious conversation about how Laura shouldn't need diet pills. Well, that's the thing
0: is that they're then after all this happens... Laura and the mom are going to sit down and have a serious sober conversation about the pressure that Laura felt to lose weight and, you know, all the body issues that young women face. Like, how the hell are we supposed to process this? It's just that the crazy schizophrenia of the tone of this show is hilarious.
1: Yep, it's uh, it was a lot. Um, But look. Erkel's funny <laughs> I, mean, I can't you can't go wrong. you got a winner there
0: so yeah, we get we get the heartfelt speech, you know Harriet has her anecdote about Jimmy Thomas. When she was a young girl, she was called stupid and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy because she didn't believe in herself and she didn't do well. Uh, You know, this is usual sitcom tripe, right? You're not fat. Get that, you know, out of your mind. Just believe in yourself, whatever. Again, it's hard to take any of this seriously when 10 seconds ago, we were watching Steve Urkel, like do the moonwalk through this, you know, garage.
1: Well, Uh, and also this is a conversation you have with your young teenage daughter, not your very like adult looking 20-year-old daughter.
0: Sure. I mean, look, you, you could have that. You could have issues like that at any time. You absolutely but could. Yeah. But
1: it just, it like like I said, they are so much older now. Yeah, and that it just That was, it was off-putting for most of the episode.
0: Yeah. And so the last scene is, you know, Laura is sort of keeping Steve company. He's in his little nightcap, you know, watching TV late at night because it's like, okay, he's... He's through the woods in terms of his manic episode, but he's not going to be able to get to sleep for a while. And so we get a sick burn on CBS, right?
1: That's right. um, She's looking or she's talking to Steve and she's like, do you think you're going to be able to go to sleep? And he's like, no, probably not. And she's like, all right, well, why don't we watch some CBS? And they put on CBS and the minute the like show comes on, they both go and immediately fall asleep.
0: Yep. CBS, not not entertaining, I guess. (laughs) TV
1: for old people.
0: Yeah, Uh, shots fired, gauntlet, gauntlet thrown down. So I don't know. Look, this is a wild lineup of shows. Any thoughts in terms of like, was this helpful? Like, is it good that these shows, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, like, did this help kids uh be aware of the dangers of drugs is this a good idea to to you know take the time to to tackle these issues on these shows like this or did it make it more of a punchline? did it make us just go hey you sound like some stupid episode of saved by the bell give me those drugs
1: (laughs) yeah i mean good question look i have a special place in my heart for both saved by the bell and family ties i think Family Ties in particular, it was on when I was at an age and I watched it at such a young age that it I was younger than the teenagers that maybe they were trying to reach, but it absolutely had that impact on me because I watched it with my parents and we talked about it, right? So something like Saved by the Bell, it when, when I saw that one, it wasn't new. I'd already had that conversation with my family, you know? So I think maybe that one it was always kind of a little bit of a joke.
0: Yeah. It was just such a ubiquitous thing at this time. I remember there was some cartoon uh like a half hour cartoon they put on where it was like the Ninja Turtles and the you know Looney Tunes characters something it was like this, you know, assembly of like all these different cartoon characters that they that all came together to make this anti-drug special that they aired on NBC or something. Like it was just everywhere. And yeah, who's to say, you know, societally, you've got the whole aspect of it of, you know, all the crazy, you know, the people that ended up in prison wrongly because of stuff like this. That's probably a little much for us to get into. I could say for myself, when I finally realized as an older teenager, that not everything that they told us about drugs was true. I feel like I swung hard to the other side of the pendulum. And I think that maybe it would have been a little more helpful for me if some of the stuff that I was exposed to when I was younger was a little more even-handed instead of being so cartoonish about like drugs are going to turn you into a raving maniac over the course of a couple days. You're going to jump off of
1: a building if you get on
0: drugs. Right. And so once I realized that that wasn't true, I think I did have a hard time sort of coming to terms with what the, the truth was about that stuff. About
1: that. So I don't know. I mean, first of all, we've talked about this before, but like my family was always having like family conversations about that kind of stuff, whereas your family was less communicative. having, you know, three boys and and just your mom. I don't know, like my family, me and my mom, we are talkers. And so we just like, we always just kind of talked about everything. There was always a conversation. So maybe that was some of it. My parents were also pretty like liberal about that kind of stuff. They were like, you're going to drink when you're in high school. We know you are because we did just call us and we'll pick you up. Don't be stupid. Don't drive, you know? So it was like, I had a, like, I wasn't the kid that didn't have a curfew. You know, I definitely had all those rules, but I also had these like it was it was always you know you might get in trouble but you should still tell us and it's fine and it was always like in that yeah. realm of things so I don't know if that pay if that played into it at all because I I definitely was like dabbled but I was never interested in anything more than like pot you know like I never was interested in taking pills or putting needles in me or right. snorting things or anything like I was which, never interested in any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, which kind of goes back to what we said at the beginning where this is a particular kind of drug use that this trope is addressing, it's not the fun drugs, which we'll get right. to <laughs> in some other in some in other some
1: way. Other
0: so entertainment-wise, you know, in terms of the shows, uh I don't know, like The Saved by the Bell has the biggest cultural footprint with that i'm so excited thing but to be honest for me that episode is a little bit like the stairway to heaven of saved by the bell episodes you know like everybody knows it it's not necessarily my personal favorite the family ties one really, uh, you know, for the reasons we talked about with the way that they characterize Alex and Mallory's relationship and the way that he's he's so straightforward with her as he's getting more and more shady and unraveled and their crazy confrontation and just acting wise, again, even though I have, really have no issue with Elizabeth Berkeley's whole freakout scene, uh, to watch... Michael J. Fox play that whole arc from the contemplating of the drugs and the asking for them and the ups and the downs and the crazy breakdown and everything and, you know, the parents reacting to it. Like, that that kind of takes it for me as just the, the the MVP of the Hooked on Pills trope.
1: I would tend to agree, although I really enjoyed it. I am not as much of, uh, like... Ha- I don't have saved by the bell memorized the way you do. Mm. So yeah, it was a joy for me to be able to go back and watch that saved by the bell episode. I completely forgot that it was the same episode as all of the music thing with the workout video. I mean, I knew that there was something else going on. And there was some singing. And that's why she was singing that I'm so excited. I'm so scared. But I... remember all of it and i was like oh my god this is in that episode and this saved
0: by the bell is kind of like seinfeld in that way that a lot of times the one where that happened is also the one where that other thing
1: happened yeah it was a lot of fun to go back and revisit that but no i i have to agree family ties by far was the best and look as awkward and as weird as it was getting to watch jaleel white's old Urkel in the garage scene was so much fun.
0: Yeah. And once again, shout out to Horshack Scarves and his whole uh, ensemble. So much for Hooked on Pills. What are we talking about next week?
1: Next week, we're going on a romantic getaway with the Dick Van Dyke show. Season four, episode 27, Never Bathe on a Saturday. Kate and Allie, season five, episode 15, Almost Married. Mad About You, Season 1, Episode 14, Weekend Getaway, and Martin. Season 3, Episode 24, The Romantic Weekend.
0: Yep, Romantic Getaway is next week. Hopefully by then we'll be recovered and mellowed out and our system is is flushed and we we can rebuild our lives. And until then, we will consider this segment of the sitcom study concluded. Thank you for listening to The Sitcom Study. Tell us what you think or share your own TV tropes and topic ideas by sending a self-addressed stamped email to sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. It helps us boost those precious Nielsen ratings. The Sitcom Study is recorded in front of a live studio dog.